Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another brand new episode of The Casual Criminalist. Hello, I am your casual criminalist, Simon. Uh, what happens here is uh, I have a script about... This is the Hello Kitty murders, which I have to say sounds like the most clickable title of an episode ever because you like Hello Kitty murders. I feel like when you take something cute and combine it with something horrible, it's like, ooh, why? why? Oh, I must have to click on that. And I'm sure if you're watching this on YouTube, add an appropriately clickbaity thumbnail to go along with this because that's how the game works, isn't it, everybody? This app's been written by a first-time new author for The Casual Criminalist, Rounds of applause, please, Jen, our wonderful video producer in the sound effects. Welcome, George. Thank you. The Hello Kitty Murders is his piece. This is, uh, now there's Callum. There's David. There's George. Um, it feels, you know, this is in my endless, endless attempts to keep up with casual criminalist content because these episodes, we do two of these a week. That's what I aim for. They're bloody long. <laughs> and I realize poor Callum can't do it all himself. So George is also, uh, Writing a, a little bit of something for Casual Criminalist. Uh, if you're new here, I've never read this before. I'm going to read it. It's called A Cold Read, which is also that thing that psychics do, which is a bit weird. I always just had it from the drama thing, where it's like, uh, you know, to test your abilities, you'll be given like a page of a script and be like, read that. And, uh, oh, God. <laughs> okay. Like a sight reading music. I guess you could all also call it like sight reading. But uh, anyway, not important. Why are we off on a tangent before you've even gone? Let's jump into the Helikitter. Hello. Kitty Murders. Let's go. Hong Kong in 1999 was a rapidly changing city in search of an identity. Two years prior, in 1997, British administration of the burgeoning metropolis ended after 156 years and 6.5 million colonial subjects returned to Chinese rule. Sort of right. They didn't remain in they didn't become entirely Chinese because now there's that whole thing about the protests about how now they're worried about becoming fully Chinese. There was something where it was like that the laws didn't come into effect until like 2050 or something I believe I made a video about it and now I've forgotten all of the pertinent facts as I am uh, as I am want to do to be honest. Anyway, I believe George lives in Hong Kong if I'm not mistaken. I think he said that in an email to me which is intense. Uh, Initially, a scattering of fishing villages and a small Chinese fort numbering no more than 7,500 people, Hong Kong had transformed into Asia's world city, a huge pouring in of Chinese capital following the Sino-British Joint Declaration in 1984 had morphed the city into the jungle of glass, steel, and concrete that we know it for today. More construction site than city in this period, huge swaths of the territory's green space were disappearing to make space for 70-story high-rise tower blocks. I've never been to Hong Kong, and I have to say I'd really like to go. It seems like, I don't know, sort of super densely packed. Isn't it the most expensive real estate in the world, just because there's so little space and so many people living there? I can't remember the... Is it because it's like free trade, but it's also China? Is that why it's so popular? Wow, my, my lack of knowledge about Hong Kong is really showing. Um, huge land reclamation projects forever changed the coastline and provided the space for some of the world's tallest buildings. The familiar landmarks of the colonial period were disappearing. Kai Tak Airport would no longer provide its famous views of jumbo jets kissing the roofs of tower blocks being replaced with a cruise ship terminal and a housing estate. <laughs> it's a bit of a change from an airport, isn't it? Kowloon Walled City no longer stood as a monument to barely organized self-determination and was torn down to be replaced with a public park. Kowloon Walled City is crazy. That was like this entire sort of city town 
that was just built in this really small area of Hong Kong. And uh, there was kind of like no rules. There was no like building permission. So it was all this crazy hodgepodge of stuff, um, which kind of, I don't know, it's a shame it's gone. I'd love to have visited there. I made a whole geographics video, which is a YouTube channel I do about that. And again, I've forgotten many of the details about it, but I do remember it being cool. The historic Star Ferry, once the only way of reliably crossing Victoria Harbour, was relegated to little more than a tourist trap as tunnel-boring machines worked 24-7 to give the city one of the most advanced and widely served subway systems in the world. Likewise, extreme triad violence appeared to be largely confined to the annals of history as Hong Kong transformed into the picture of modernity and splendor. That was until May. 1999, when a distressed 14-year-old girl entered Yao M- Oh, God. Oh, no! George included these pronunciation guides for me. <laughs> but for some reason, my, uh, whatever, I'm, I'm using my iPad to read this instead of when I was reading it on the computer, and they've all gone away. <laughs> and instead of being a professional and going to look them up and fixing this problem, I'm just going to guess. I'm so sorry, George, but I'm on a time today because I want to get home and see my family. Um, contrary to popular belief, despite how many YouTube videos I make and podcasts that I film, I do like seeing them. So uh, here's my best guess. <laughs> Yao Matei. Yao Matei Police Station. Claiming that for several weeks her every moment, both awake and asleep, was plagued by the ghost of a bloodied and beaten young woman. It sounds like she doesn't need to be going to the police, but she needs to be going to a hospital. The phantom, barely recognizable as a human for the physical suffering it had endured, frayed strands of electrical wire that had once bound the spirit's arms still embedded in the gashes in the specter's wrists. Oh my god, you need some drugs. Like, not recreational drugs, but the drugs that make you stop seeing this stuff. Because obviously phantoms aren't real, and uh, and you're imagining it, because your brain's not working properly. Which is the ongoing and never-ending theme of Casual Criminalist. Whether it's a psycho murderer... Or uh, a girl who is imagining ghosts. It's all lots of people with slightly broken brains. And all the people hitting me up on Twitter being like, Ah, Simon, a ghosts are real. I've seen one. All I'm thinking is like, well, your brain is slightly broken too. Just for that one little moment where you saw a ghost, something misfired and went wrong. Which is a far more reasonable explanation than ghosts. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Its face disfigured and warped, as though it had endured weeks of cruel and unrelenting beating. The ghost wailed like a banshee, begging for its torture to finally be over. Initially, the police paid the younger girl no heed, dismissing her claims as an elaborate ruse to garner attention or a drug-fueled psychotic episode. The desk sergeant sat the girl down and, now becoming rather fed up with having to deal with the girl, picked up his phone and tried to contact her parents. The girl then shared one detail that had slammed the receiver down and give her his full attention. She had killed her. Oh, oh, oh. Oh my. So this is like some sort of psychotic confession where you've killed someone. You keep seeing their ghost. I mean, it's not really their ghost. You're just haunted by the fact that you murdered them. Uh Uh-oh. How old was she? 14? Under further questioning, the young girl revealed that her nightmare was anything but a fantasy, and, in fact, she was seeing the spirit of a young woman that she and three other men had jointly tortured for weeks on end before she passed away. The girl offered to lead the police back to the scene of the crime, and two officers raced with the girl the short distance to the third floor of Number 31 Granville Road, Simsash Sui Sui... Oh, God, George, I'm so sorry. I can... I know... I even vaguely remember seeing the pronunciation in the guide for this one. I was like, ah, but I haven't done it. 
also it's interesting with hong kong right because it's like granville road <laughs> it sounds like super british but then tsim sash soy sounds like well well not because hong kong an interesting like hodgepodge of cultures fun as <laughs> colonialism woo <laughs> that was sarcastic by the way as they ascended the steps of the decrepit and derelict old walk-up tenement, the girl ushered the officers inside a particular flat, and they were met with a scene more befitting of the brutality of the Japanese's occupation half a century prior. Oh my god, the Japanese occupation of China was insane. I feel like all I'm doing today is mentioning previous videos that I've done, but, uh, god, what was it called? Uh, there was the, the Rape of Nanking was crazy like unbelievable war crimes and brutality i can't remember if it was on geographics or into the shadows somewhere i did a video out this see i'm not really plugging it because i don't even remember where i did it so i can't even give a proper like do proper marketing can't even do it um but just boy was that crazy you don't want the japanese occupying your country (laughs) you do not the beige paint of the once prestigious property peeling away, leaving large patches of exposed concrete, the floor littered with the collapsed remnants of furniture too large and valueless to be removed when the property was abandoned. Bamboo scaffolding and lengths of 2x4 scattered around the peripheries of the apartment, relics of aborted attempts at renovation. A dirty and soiled single mattress sat in the corner of the room, flanked by multiple piles of condom packets and discarded needles. Lovely. In the kitchen, a small gas stove sits beside a rusted refrigerator the girl now pale as a sheet leads the officers to the aforementioned fridge slumps her head in silence and simply points at it oh god don't be like there's gonna be like a head in there or something like american psycho style sorbet oh shit. the closest officer follows her direction and slowly opens the door he pauses to take in the scene that greets him bewildered at why a fridge in such a derelict apartment would be packed with so much crudely butchered meat <laughs> If it takes him more than two seconds to put that together, it'd be like, oh, wow, that's a really good... Oh, God, what have you done? It took mere moments for the obvious realization to dawn on him. He slams the door of the fridge shut and charges into the hallway of the tenement to vomit. The girl informs the remaining officer that packed tightly into the fridge is the butchered remains of Fan Man Yi. God damn, my dudes. Why? Why? I mean, I... <laughs> no, I don't even want to say that. I'm like, at least it's in the fridge, but that just sounds like... <laughs> Uh, it's a, what, uh, uh. the officer's eyes are then drawn to the large hello kitty mermaid doll to his side <laughs> it's a little bit of a contra like not a contradiction what's it called like a, a weird tableau what's that called there's a word for this maybe it is contradictory it's not everyone in the everyone everyone right now listening to this is screaming that word in their mind aren't they because whenever i'm listening to a podcast so i can't come up with a word i'm always like it's this you idiot um so enjoy that moment you, you, you big brain moments ago this doll had blended unnoticed into the general clutter of the apartment now however he notices a certain redness to the dirt that stains the doll almost akin to dried blood he puts on plastic gloves and goes to inspect the doll further the body of the doll seemed normal enough but there was a certain hardness to its head uh, he couldn't particularly squeeze it or compress it has he some have they somehow put the the skull of a woman inside that hello kitty skull what the what is wrong with you he then noticed some crude stitching on the and they stitched it in what is up on the rear of its head he unpicks the stitching and fan man Yi's skull stained red and gray from a partially boiled and rotten brain matter falls onto the floor dude 
I'm, he's probably glad he was sick before, but now he's probably just retching an empty stomach, which is the worst feeling. The victim. The victim, Fan Manyi, was not a woman who found herself particularly heavily laden with luck even before she crossed paths with the group that would eventually brutally end her life. A young Manyi was abandoned by her parents when she was still an infant and raised in one of Hong Kong's orphanages. Hong Kong orphanages in the early 1990s were not exactly temples of kindness and caring. Living conditions were often brutal and unforgiving, and children residing within them rarely got the qualifications and care they needed to succeed in adult life. Thus it came to be that at the age of 16, in this tragically common pattern, Man Yi was evicted from the orphanage, being deemed by the state to be an adult and fully capable of fending for herself, despite all evidence and common sense to the contrary. Unsurprisingly, this did not... Yeah, 16 is... It's so young. I remember being 16, like the end of my GCSEs, before you go on to do A-levels or go into the workforce. I was brought up in like a well-balanced, happy family. You know, things were good. And I just can't, even then, even after like good upbringing, decent GCSEs, the idea of just going out into the world at 16 and having to fend for myself, <laughs> things would turn to disaster fairly quickly as I'd realize that, you know, I can't just play video games all day and there's things I've got to pay for. I feel like that dis- difference between like 16 and the end of university, which is like 2021, is so huge. That's such a big four years. I feel like 20-year-old Simon could kind of cope with stuff i mean he was still an idiot but at least he could cope 16 year old simon no chance he can't even grow a proper beard unsurprisingly this did not end well for the young girl who with nowhere to live no job no qualifications and no one she could turn to for aid and support quickly found herself treading the ever tragic path of prostitution drug abuse and petty criminality. At some time in the seven years between her eviction and her murder, she had a son, but it is uncertain whether he was the result of liaisons with a partner or a customer. Her son has also never come forward for interviews or to discuss his early childhood. Perhaps if one day he does, we may be able to shed more light on the early years of Fan Man Yi's life. Yeah, he's got no reason to do that. Don't do that. Just get on with your life. That doesn't sound like a good time for you. The 23-year-old woman worked as a prostitute in Kowloon's poorer districts, of which there were plenty in 1999. When reading about this case, you will often encounter two clashing claims. Some sources identify her as working as a nightclub hostess, others as a prostitute. Articles contemporary to events and the police report from the incident all identify her as a prostitute with latter and more recent English language articles on the case tending towards identifying her as a nightclub hostess. The initial change in story cannot be tracked down to an initial initial article, but likely it spawns from a well-meaning, if ultimately incorrect, attempt to allow the victim a greater degree of dignity. It's a bit of revisionism, then, isn't it? Which I mean, I get, but we shouldn't like. It's easy, and then you get the internet thing, where it's like it just copies from and copies and copies, and you know, someone telling the story. Like, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this. I'm certain as well you see some you know someone finds a reliable source cites it but that original reliable source was wrong and then another reliable source is saying it and then he got two and it perpetuates itself i think george even said ah this is why i know he lives in hong kong because he said he was going to go to the not to the police station or something but to some records he could look up somehow or maybe that's why i thought he was in hong kong i guess i don't know 
Um, how fun. In 1997, when Fan Man Yi was 21 years old, she began working in a brothel rather than on the street. Prostitution in Hong Kong sat, and still does sit, in a murky gray area of the law, not exactly illegal, but not exactly legal. The act of prostitution itself was legal, but pimping, keeping a vice establishment, causing or procuring another to be a prostitute, and living on the prostitution of others were outlawed. This sounds like a fairly common way that uh, countries do it, though. Prostitution itself is illegal, but you can't pimp. Um, there was a guy here in uh, in Prague who went to prison. He ran some like nightclub, and it turns out he was a pimp, and he went to prison for ages. And I was like, well, good. <laughs> you deserve it. Don't be a pimp. This created the uniquely Hong Kong situation in which pimps branched out into real estate, buying apartments and units in cheaper buildings and converting them into numerous micro-flats. The landlords then just happened to rent them exclusively to prostitutes far above the market rate, where the girls plied their trade perfectly legally. That sounds like the sort of loophole that should be cl- closed about a week after someone discovers it. <laughs> It'd be like, why are all these guys buying up apartments and putting young women in there? Oh, I see, I see, change the law. Come on, let's get that, you know, get that dynamic law working and let's stop this from happening. It is this type of establishment that the 21-year-old Man Yi found herself residing and working in. The young woman believed herself safer in such establishment, and statistically she was, but her landlord and many of her clients were still triads, meaning she was never truly safe. Now, just before we continue with today's episode, a quick word from one of our wonderful sponsors, Noom Mood. What is Noom Mood? Do you ever feel stressed? Who doesn't feel stressed out? Who doesn't feel like that little twinge of anxiety? Probably related to stress. Or sometimes just like random anxiety for no reason. I don't know about you, but uh, yeah. Familiar. Uh, Noom Mood is uh, basically it's a way to kind of help you manage daily stress and anxious thoughts. That's something we all want. It guides you to being in a better mental place. Better mental wellness is what they say here. And they give you the tools you need to tackle stress so you feel empowered to take on take on whatever life throws at you. And I think Noom Mood is one of those things that even if you're feeling good, like, I don't know, I guess like most people, I have my ups, I have my downs. I have my moments of stress and I have my moments of relaxing. Even if you're in one of those moments of relaxing, I think that's a great time to get cracking with something like Noom Mood because it helps keep you there and it helps you build those kind of skill sets and mental what's it called like mental powers that makes it sound like telekinesis or something but like mental frameworks or whatever to help you deal with that stress when it comes along i think it's often better to get started when you're not feeling super stressed but also if you are stressed obviously it's a good time so basically simon what you're saying is it's always a good time to join new mood which i suppose is true talk about how stressful it can be to think about tackling your stress that's exactly you know that's what i'm talking about if you're feeling super stressed, it can be hard to address it because you're right in the middle of it. If you're feeling a bit more chilled out, you know, take action now so that you're going to be better equipped next time. That makes perfect sense. With New Mood, you'll take a journey to mental wellness one step at a time. Their guided approach teaches you the power of shifting your mindset in just a few minutes a day. And look, I'm a busy dude, but you can find, I could find a few minutes a day. You can, and it's worthwhile because stress and anxiety largely unpleasant aren't they when you think about it it's kind of like that's a bit rough don't really like that at all <laughs> no mood is also backed by science lessons are based on psychological principles that teach you about your relationship with stress and anxiety it's robust providing you with tools techniques that you can try out and they hold your hands they take you uh they they take you through a curriculum and that's coupled with a one-on-one coach that guides you and encourages you in your journey that's fantastic it's successful convenient a few minutes a day lovely stuff Ooh. This is a nice catchphrase they've got written for me here. You are stronger than your stress. Damn right you are. You just push through, 
Get new mood. Get it under control. You'll be good. Don't worry about it. New mood. Take care of your mental well-being. Is empowering. So worry less. Feel happier. Sign up for your trial at new mood. Uh, Sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash casual. That's Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash casual. And now back to the show. The theft. After two years of plying her trade in this brothel, Fan Man Yi was by all accounts something of a favorite among the establishment's unsavory clientele. One of her regular clients was the 34-year-old Chang Man Lok. Man Lok often asked for Man Yi personally in his police interrogation. He went into rather explicit detail about exactly why he took such a shine to her, but for the sake of Simon's monetization, we shan't dwell too, too much on these particulars. George, I hate to break it to you, but when we talked about the, uh, the, the police officer opening the fridge full of human meat... I'm fairly sure that if we lost our monetization, we already lost it. But I'm I'm happy to also skip over this stuff because it just sounds uh, a little bit unpleasant anyway. So uh, the important takeaway is that through this regular liaison, Man Yi became intimately aware of Man Lok's triad profession and the bountiful dividends it yielded onto his bank account. You, the audience, as the intelligent, worldly big brains that you all are would probably agree with me if i were to claim that stealing a triad member's wallet isn't exactly the greatest move for an individual seeking to live a long and fruitful life yes that sounds like a terrible idea like i don't know gangs are scary i've seen enough movies to know that i don't know mafia gangs governments of countries where they don't have proper rule of law just don't just don't go there you know there's there's videos that i've not made and stuff because I'm like, why would I go there? Why would I? I'm not a journalist. I have no desire to be a journalist. I don't know. Journalists I have deep admiration for. The stuff that journalists got up to where they dig out stuff and then it's like they release it and it's like, yeah, 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 this guy was doing this. And you're like, oh my God. Oh my God. You're going to get murdered. Someone's going to get murdered for this. And then they do get murdered. And then you see on that press feed at Freedom Index and it's like, oh my God. I have a huge respect for this, but I have no desire to do it myself because I like to be alive. Like, I'm glad people do, but I'm just not that morally good. I just, just like, boy, I'm too selfish. I just want to live. <laughs> what are we talking about? That was a mega tangent. Sadly, Fan Man Yi was not exactly level-headed and rational during this period, those two facets of her person having been slowly eroded by a lifetime of pain, suffering, and drug dependency. When clear-headed and supplied with a fix, she would no doubt concede as readily as you or I that such a mood would be a very move would be a very, very stupid idea. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, uh, how much percentage of it is like you know uh small crime is committed by people who just uh stealing things so they can sell them for drug money it's like it's crazy like my uh my mother-in-law runs a a guest house like a b&b sort of thing and one of her one of the people staying in her place stole from her and she's like it's like you know i take your id when you check in and it turns out that it's stolen all the shit to sell it for drug money and stuff and it's like this is the craziest thing ever it's like they know who you are it's like we know you know who did it and it's like oh yeah yeah because people who steal things for drug money they don't think properly they're just like it's just the short term short term thinking to the point of the next 20 minutes not the next week even which is crazy. I don't know. I'm one of those people that's just like, I live in the future to the extent of not enjoying the present, which I know is not a good thing either. But one night in March 1999, with her son desperate for food and every cell and fiber of her dependency riddled 
uh, of her dependency-riddled person screaming out for the next fix, she saw an opportunity, and in the heat of the moment, she took it. After a session with Chan Man Lark, she looked to the floor and saw his handsomely filled wallet protruding from his crumpled trousers. The opportunity briefly overtook her reason, and before she could even stop to fully consider the ramifications of such an act, she glanced over her shoulder to make sure he wasn't looking, ripped the wallet from his pocket, and hid it in the clutter of the room. As he went to put his trousers on, the realization hit her. All other emotions evaporated from her in an instant, replaced only with dread and dark fantasies of what would happen to her when a client felt his now empty pocket. Much to her dismay and relief, he did not realize, simply thanking her as usual and going about his way. She breathed a deep sigh of relief as the door closed behind him and she sank onto the bed. That was stupid, but it'll be fine. It'll be ages until he finds it missing and then he'll just assume that he lost it on the way home, she thought. Uh, yeah, no, he's not gonna, he's not gonna think that. That's not what he's gonna think. He's gonna be like, he's seen, like, I don't know, he's seen movies. He knows that she took the wallet. That's how it is. Every, every movie's like that sex worker. They, they, they took the wallet. Chang Man Lok was feeling thirsty after his session with Fan Man Yi, so he headed to the nearest 7-Eleven and grabbed himself a zesty and refreshing beverage. Like anyone would, he panicked when he couldn't find his wallet and began to retrace his steps. He had had his wallet when he paid Man Yi only half an hour ago, he thought, and as the realization hit him, the panic in his mind was replaced by all-consuming anger. He stormed out of the store with the, ra- with the rage of a man possessed by a demon and headed back to the brothel. He barked at the crowd of men waiting outside, Get the f*** out of my way, that f- stole my money. He slammed on Man Yi's door, threatening to take it off its hinges if it wasn't open immediately. Fan Man Yi, pale as a ghost and consumed by fear, slowly began to open the door, which was barged through by a client the moment he heard the lock click. He pushed to the floor, grabbed her by the collar, and pulled her head up to him, his, and snarled at her two words, Wallet. Now. Man Yi released his grip on her and she handed him the wallet. It took a mo- he took a moment to count his cash and make sure that his 4,000 Hong Kong dollars, about 400 pounds, was accounted for. He then explained to her that compensation for this insult, she owed him 10,000 Hong Kong dollars, about 1,000 pounds. Couldn't you just like, I don't know. Maybe it was just not how it works, but I'd just be like, I don't have your wallet, what are you talking about? And then he'd ser- you'd search around for it and clutter around the place and it'd just be like, yeah, it fell out. No one noticed. I mean, it's it's not super believable, but it's also better than being like, yeah, yeah, I took it. Please don't murder me, triad. Obviously, Fan Man Yi did not have this kind of money, either on her person or in her bank account. She pleaded with Chan Man Lok, explaining that she had every will and intention of paying, but she needed time to find that much money. With little else he could do, he left her room and wanted and warned her that he would be back soon to collect the money. The Kidnapping Chan Man Lok knew that Fan Man Yi had ample opportunities to escape. Within 24 hours, she could have fled to the United Kingdom or disappeared deep into the Chinese mainland, and with her would disappear both his compensation and his pride satisfaction. How's she going to flee to the United Kingdom? She doesn't have. How much money was it? A thousand pounds? Where's she going to get the money? She doesn't know anywhere close to a thousand pounds. She doesn't even. I'm assuming she has less than the guy in her wallet, his wallet, so 400 pounds. How on earth are you going to get to the UK in 24 hours with less than 400 pounds? That's unrealistic. Accordingly, he went to pay her a visit the next day and remind her of the dues she owed him. The gangster was enraged, albeit not surprised, when he entered the brothel and found the enticing purple lights of Man Yi's workplace switched off with her nowhere to be seen. The girl had absconded. He enlisted the help of two criminal comrades, 27-year-old Lung Xing Chou and 21-year-old Lung Wai Lun, to search for Fan Man Yi. Dude, 
just let it go i'm sure it's 400 pounds if you got four look the amount of money you carry in your wallet is generally an insignificant amount of money to you or maybe you know it's like a few days worth of money right Uh, of cash spending and i guess maybe it was even less back in the day when they didn't have cards and stuff all the time so you can assume that 400 pounds equivalent is not a lot of money to him so why are you so bothered if someone stole my wallet i'd be like oh man someone stole my wallet i better get a new one i'm not gonna like have some crazy ass grudge or is this just how gangsters think i'd be like don't you have other bigger gangster problems to deal with aren't the people like i don't know interrupting your drugs shipments and i don't know like what other gangsters get up to in hong kong in the 90s like don't you have bigger fish to fry they had no idea where she lived so they resorted to night after night meticulously searching hong kong's various red light districts reasoning that if she was still in the city she would be in need of money so she could so she couldn't have ended up anywhere else dude what are you doing wasting your time like this with some stupid revenge if this person like murdered your family i'll be like yeah 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 go get them go get them but they stole a wallet with not even that much money in it for you They searched Wan Chai, a district of Hong Kong Island frequented mostly by European expats, believing she may be using a change of clientele to hide. They found no sign of her. They searched Sham Shui Po, a heavily ethnic minority district of Hong Kong whose differing circles may provide her some cover. Again, they found no sign of her. The men were unrelenting in their search until, by pure luck, in March 1999, they found her working on a street corner. How long are you doing this for? You're like traveling around Hong Kong, it's going on for months. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Unified behind their purpose like a hive mind, the three gangsters took no reprieve to consult one another or formulate a plan. They immediately looped around the block and pulled up to Fan Man Yi as though they were prospective clients, and they dived out of the car and bundled her into the boot before she could identify the men and flee the scene. They screeched off into the night and drove Man Yi to one of their tribe's properties, number 31 Granville Road, Sim Sha Sui, a place that should be hauntingly familiar from our introduction. Now, just before we continue with today's podcast, a quick word from one of our wonderful sponsors, Wondery Generation Y. When it comes to podcasts covering murder and mystery, Generation Y is a true original. If you're obsessed with crime and unsolved murder cases, this show has it all. And look, you're listening to a show about crime and i mean not just unsolved but murder so maybe you're interested in unsolved murder as well fantastic that's why you should check out generation y also i feel like this is off the talking points here but wondery it's like one of those big podcast producers that you know you're just gonna click on it it's like yeah it's gonna be good because you know a big production team has thought about it and they've worked really hard to make something incredibly compelling (laughs) so it's like i don't know i feel like you know trusted brands or like however you want to say it but like you know you know it's gonna be good basically hosts aaron and justin cover cases from all angles they break down theories dive deep into forensic evidence and discuss their opinions on the most perplexing cases this sounds familiar doesn't it i mean really if you like this show uh, go in a recent episode of generation y aaron and justin discussed the mysterious death of jason corbett on a fateful night in 2015 jason argued with his wife molly at home while molly's parents slept downstairs their argument woke up molly's dad tom who grabbed a baseball bat and ran upstairs tom claimed to have found jason strangling molly oh my god <laughs> this domestic disturbance got out of control my dudes A fight ensued between Tom and Jason that left Jason dead with a caved-in skull. Did Tom act in self-defense, or was this a planned murder? I I mean, I I just immediately want to find out. Okay, yeah. Generation Y. Listen to the Generation Y podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen ad-free 
by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. And now, back to the episode. The Torture At this point, Chan Manlock, Liang Xingzhou, and Liang Wai Lung had a simple enough, albeit already, abhorrent plan. Establish the decrepit apartment as a brothel, imprison Fan Man Yi inside, and force her to have sex with clients of the gangsters choosing to pay off her debt. This plan quickly changed, however, and evolved into one of stomach-churning torture and brutality. The men were then joined by the teenage girl from our introduction, the unnamed then-13-year-old girlfriends of 34-year-old Chan Manlock. Chan Manlock, mate, what are you up to? I'm 34. You sicko. Then the group of the group of four settled in. It's not a girlfriend. That's not a girlfriend, George, I would say. That is a victim. <laughs> the group of four settled in for the night, satisfied in their having secured fan man Yi. As the drink flowed and the drugs were snorted, the group began to be overcome with an altogether more sinister intention toward the ill-fated girl. Anger consumed the three men, who began to chastise and berate their captive. Then they slapped her. Slaps turned into punches, which turned into kicks, which became beatings with kitchen utensils, which became beatings with bamboo poles and metal bars. The crescendo of violence escalated throughout the night as Fan Man Yi was stripped of every shred of her humanity and reduced to naught but a punching bag for a group of sadistic and warped animals, masquerading in the image of petty gangsters. Shockingly still, the 13-year-old girlfriend of victim of Chan Man Lock became a willing accomplice to the violence, inflicting violence upon the poor girl as many of her as 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 great as many of her male accomplices. She's still a victim, and now she is also a criminal. This horrific torture was sadly not relegated to a single night of drug-fueled barbarity either. This became the group's routine, barely describable torture being constantly inflicted upon Fan Man Yi, the only reprieve from this physical humiliation being the periods in which she was subjected to the emotional humiliation of being forced to service the clients that came to this brothel. This too worsened with time as word spread about the local area that there was a prostitute who could be roughed up without complaints from a pimp. Her increasingly broken-down state only drove away relatively conventional clients and drew even more sadistic ones in their place. This is a f***ing horrible situation. As the situation worsened for Fan Man Yi over the following weeks, physical torture was no longer enough for her captors. They began to torture her emotionally too, forcing her to smile through the beatings, to thank her for her punishment, to give monologues about how much she loved being punished and how grateful she was for being given the opportunity to be absolved of her sin against Chan Man Lok. Predictably, refusal or lack of enthusiasm in the execution of these commands only resulted in harsher beatings. This is one of those... Mm. This is the sort of thing you read about in a fiction book or see in a movie. There was this movie, this horrible movie, about Mexican gangsters. About, like, the drug cartels and, like, Juarez and shit. I think it had Penelope Cruz in it. Maybe it was called Sicario. That might have been a different movie, though. And it was just like, man, it did not let up about the depravity of these Mexican gangs. And you're watching that movie and you're just, oh my God, I'm just so glad this is fiction. And then you read something like this and you're like, humanity. us all. We're such pieces of The condition of the poor girl eventually became so poor that even the most depraved men of Hong Kong refused to sleep with the woman who was all but a corpse. The group became unable to make any money from her, and she wasn't able to do anything to clear her debt. Not that this mattered to her captors, for them this had long stopped being about clearing a debt. Now they just reveled in the twisted ecstasy of their brutality. Then they graduated to burn... Burning her. 
They would drip hot candle wax onto her body, use a lighter to melt plastic on her, and set short lengths of wood on fire and place them on her body. They held the palms of her hands and the soles of her feet down on the gas stove so that she couldn't even grip or walk without crippling agony. This was still not enough. They poured strong out. Okay, okay, enough, enough. Yeah, enough. They bind her. I just don't want to read this anymore. The murder. The inevitable finally happens on the 15th of April, 1999. The group went out to a party as per their routine. They locked Fan Mei in the bathroom so she couldn't escape. When they returned, Chan Man locks, lest we forget, 13-year-old... I'm just going to cross that word out and in my mind, victim, went to use the toilet to found Man Yu dead in the bath. She could take no more punishment and finally had passed away after a month of brutal suffering. So tortured was her body that it appeared as though she had entered the early stages of decomposition before she even died. Blood pus from her... So, like, gangrene? Gangrene. That would be gangrene. Blood pus from her wounds and other bodily fluids were pooling in the bottom of the bath, and they and she lay in the smell of putrefying human flesh, which filled the air of the apartment. I am... Uh, it's been the last episode as well, or two episodes ago. I came away being very much like, yeah, uh, these guys deserve death penalty. And I'm really crossing my fingers that, although, was Hong Kong... No, it wasn't British in 1999. So maybe... It does have death penalty. That'd be pretty sweet, to be honest. Kind of like, yeah. I mean, not for the 13-year-old, obviously. She's 13. Um, but for the two gangsters? Let's f- hang those pricks. It will come as no shock to learn that Fan Mei Yi was given no dignity even in death. Her murderers wanted her corpse disposed of as quickly as possible. They also didn't want her to be identified if found. To this end, they butchered her corpse into parts small enough to fit in a cooking pot, boiled the remains so that the flesh could be easily rendered from the bone. In case you happen to be wondering, yes, it was the same cooking pot they'd used and continue to use to cook their meals in. They then stored the remains in the refrigerator to stop further decomposition and to attempt to contain the smell. As a perverse trophy to Afamanyu's, the murderers sewed up her boiled skull in the Hello Kitty mermaid doll mentioned in the start of this episode. It seemed that as much as they had the pragmatic common sense to want to dispose of her remains, they couldn't help but keep a reminder. Hang him. Hang, hang him. Torture them to death and hang him. Normally I'm like, we shouldn't be torturing people to death. That's cruel and unusual. We should just, you know, flip a switch and turn them off. Uh, I'm coming around to the torture. The arrest. Fortunately, this is the part of the story where Chang Manlock's now 14-year-old girlfriend-slash-victim became consumed with guilt, as we discussed at the beginning of the episode. Whether or not she was... Act- if, if this was me, if that, I would, that guilt, I'd kill myself. I'd just kill myself. Unquestionably, I would kill myself. Whether or not she was actually seeing Fan Man Yi's ghost, I will leave it to Simon and the audience to decide. Nah. <laughs> she, I mean, not a ghost, obviously, but I believe she saw her. That's the kind of guilt she was feeling. Too scared to admit her anxiety to her boyfriend, her predator, and too ashamed to admit it to her parents, she turned to the one organization she felt could bring justice for Man Yi and ease her conscience, the Hong Kong police force. Thus, how she came to be where we found her at the start of this episode in Yao Ma Te police station. A territory-wide manhunt was immediately launched to bring all three men into custody. Uh, less than 24 hours after his victim... Not girlfriend. Victim had walked into Yao Mei Te police station, but it's complicated because the victim is the woman who was murdered as well as this girl that he's grooming. 
had walked into Yao Ma Te police station. Chang Man Lok was set enjoying dim sum in a street side restaurant several blocks from the murder scene in Sim Sha Soi, where a 12.5 ton armored truck lo- locked its brakes and screeched halt in front of him. Special duties unit officers, clad head to toe in black, poured from the truck before it had even stopped, dragged him from his chair, and placed him under arrest, with the arrests of Lung Xing Chou and Lung Wai Ling following shortly after. Under questioning, the three suspects all had the exact same testimony. They were just running an illegal brothel, and that Fan Man Yi had entered into their service consensually. Man Yu is an addict who died of an overdose, they claimed, and that out of fear of reprisal from both the legal system and their triad superiors, they tried to make her disappear. They knew that they had been caught red-handed and that they were going to be that they were going to go down for a long time. Their only concern was protecting their own skin and presenting the most believable story for the minimum amount of jail time. All three men were thoroughly interrogated by psychiatrists who shockingly found nothing wrong with them. Okay. Unlike so many of the cases we investigate on this channel, where there is some kind of trigger, some kind of trauma we can point to in order to explain such great evil, in this instance, there's nothing. The three men were simply evil, inhuman animals, consumed by the intoxication of a blood frenzy. Yeah, they were also gangsters. So they were driven to, uh, you know, criminality in the underworld and, and this sort of stuff. Tragically, the despite the explicit and detailed testimony of Chang Manglock's girlfriend victim, from which large portions of this video are derived, there was sufficient grey area and evidence and testimony to spare. No. No. Fan Menu's murderers from the most extreme punishments in the Hong Kong legal system that they could that could be brought upon them. Please tell me the most extreme punishment is being tortured to death, and the less extreme punishment is death. Because I'll take it. If that's it, I'll take just death. I won't take life in prison. Or less. It's not acceptable. Her remains were suitably mauled and incomplete that it ultimately couldn't be proved beyond doubt exactly how she died. The jury couldn't rule firmly that she'd been murdered and hadn't died of a drug overdose, as the men claimed, but it did rule that, irregardless of whether they carried out the act, they were responsible for her death. All three men were sentenced to life in prison with no review for parole for 20 years until 2020. Oh, God, that was last year. Ah! Chang Manlock's uh, victim girlfriend victim due to her age i don't know what the better word is i don't know what i'm supposed to say because i can't say victim because the other one was murdered but every time i said girlfriend victim i feel myself cringe a little inside because girlfriend is not the appropriate word uh due to her age assistance in helping the police and questionable responsibility for the killing that had all charges against her dropped the most brutal episode in hong kong's recent history and let us pray its future had drawn to a close this is not okay these guys might be out of prison by now they tortured someone to death over a month in the most horrific way you can imagine. Someone, like, where's Liam Neeson when you need him? What about my family? He should be out there. He should be out there helping. And by helping, you know what I mean. Damn. I mean, not like Liam Neeson, the actor, but whoever he played in those, uh, not wanted. What are those movies called? Hunted? I've got a very particular set of skills. What are those? What's that movie called? Where he goes and he hunts people. It's awesome. Wrap up. Let's not let us not reduce the tragic case of Fan Man Yi into a gruesome spectacle for us to gawk at. Yeah, to be fair, at that point where we were describing her torture, like that was the point where I'm like, I listened to, I listened to, and I watched some true crime stuff, and I'm like, sometimes it's just this is too much. I know some people might listen for that, but I don't want you guys to be listening for that. That's not like. I want it to be like where the, 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 the person gets their comeuppance. Not where we listen to how brutally the victims were tortured. That just... 
I, I don't want this to be like murder porn. That's not what I'm here for. And that's why I stopped reading it and skipped it. Remember her name, remember her image, and remember her tragic tale. Every city on earth has a plentitude of women just like Fan Man Yi, who are handed a bad hand by fate, who have to scavenge for scraps on the edge of polite society's splendor and plenty of animals such as her killers who would seek to exploit them. They are human, just like you. They have wants, fears, desires, and dreams, just like you. And any one of them could have been one bad decision or encounter away from suffering the same fate as Fan Man Yi. Are we really doing enough for those women, both individually and as a society? No, obviously not. After concluding this episode, let's take a few moments to consider this question, and maybe some positives that can be yielded from this most tragic affair. No doubt this endeavor into the macabre has left many of us feeling less than chipper. Yeah, this is, uh, I'm glad I'm doing this at the end of the day, because, uh, it's not, like, great, is it? It's not a nice thing to have in your mind knocking around. It's probably going to stay with me, though. This one's particularly horrible. So let us close by focusing on some positives. Despite this gruesome outlier to the contrary, Hong Kong was a very safe city at the close of the millennium and only continued to become more so in the following two decades. In 1999, they had 63 homicides and 91 rapes for a population of 6.6 million. 20 years later, in 2019, the city had 24 homicides and 50 rapes, despite an increase in population of 7.5 million. Much to the relief of myself as a resident, ah, it does, there we go, I knew it. And everyone listening who may find themselves in Hong Kong in the future, homicides of any kind, let alone homicides of the brutally su- of the brutality suffered by Fan Man Yi, are very, very rare. Dismembered Appendices on the culpability of Chang Mang Lok's victim girlfriend, her responsibility for the fate of Fan Man Yi is the great moral conundrum of this case. Sure, as most 13-year-olds tend to be, she had some morality sufficiently developed to be aware of the fact that torture is among the most abhorrent and evil of crimes. But to what extent did she truly comprehend the ramifications of her actions? To what extent did she even have a choice? Yeah, I am like, I mean, I glazed, glossed over that a little bit because it's a really hard moral thing to kind of explore. But obviously someone who's 13 has less culpability than someone's 18 i honestly feel like someone who's 30 has less culpability than some has more culpability than someone who's 18 like as we get older we become i like to think more ethically aware more understanding more wise more moral more a little bit more of everything maybe and an experience and i think that obviously we hold everyone over 18 to the same standard and i don't think that's necessarily fair obviously a 13 year old has more culpability than a seven year old i would say she has some but uh, obviously she doesn't deserve to be in prison for the rest of her life in my opinion i think probably she needs help counseling probably prison until she's an adult and has been deemed not to be a risk to society by the justice system psychiatrists who knows what like something needs to happen to turn her life around would she suffer the same fate as a victim if she didn't comply and appease her um oh god what's the right word predator her predator that also doesn't sound correct i feel like with all the like talk of this in the news the last few years i feel like i should know these terms better but i don't weird equally what stopped her going to the police at any point after she got involved in the brutality hindsight's 2020 of course but the fact we still don't know her name 22 years after the murder certainly implies she was safe to come forward questions like this however are significantly above my intellectual pay grade as a humble researcher and writer so i shall leave it to simon and yourselves in the audience to attempt to answer this question i don't think it's something that has an answer i think it's just something that you know 
morally we discuss we debate we think about we question i don't know if we ever arrive at an answer for that that's why justice is complicated this has been an episode of casual criminalist thank you george i uh, i can't say i liked this it was horrible um but your writing was excellent and i enjoyed i enjoyed that uh, i hope you enjoyed this episode as well dear viewer or listener if you're uh, watching this on youtube i can't even ask you to do it don't even don't subscribe don't click that like button it's just not right is it? it's just not right um yeah if you're listening to this show as a podcast please do give it a review that would be grand and as always i'll be back next time thank you so much for watching and listening